throughout church history, um, Christians have tended to go from one or of two extremes when it comes to the world. And by the world, I mean everything that is against the ways of God. On the one side, the one extreme is isolation. I think this is on your listening guide. Um, many Christians only hang out with other Christians. And, and the thought is, the world is bad. Um, I don't want to be around bad people. I don't want my kids around bad people. I don't want bad influences my, in my life. So I'll surround myself with only good influences and I will be good. That's the, that's the idea. And you've seen churches that were like this where in the church, bad people aren't welcome. And in many cases, even Christians, other Christians aren't welcome. If you're not part of the original group, you can't come in. And that's one side of the extreme, and Jesus didn't condone that side of the extreme. Now, the other side is what I call embracing the world. And embracing the world means that I am so much like, I act like, I dress like, I talk like, I go to the places. I'm so much like the world that no one could tell I was a Christ follower just from looking at my life. Those are two extremes, and God is against either extreme. What God wants, what Jesus Christ wants, we're going to look at his prayer today in uh, John chapter 17. What Jesus wants, though, is us to be in the middle where we change the world through direct contact with them. No one who ever reads Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's called the gospel. Those are the first four books of the New Testament. Nobody who reads the gospels would ever say that Jesus was isolated from bad people. In fact, Jesus went to bad people. It's one of the criticisms against him is that he was a friend of sinners. But if you read those first four books of the New Testament, neither will you believe that Jesus um, embraced their lifestyle. Nobody ever accused Jesus of being just like the people that he hung out with. He was different. Bad people love Jesus. Bad people flock to Jesus. They flock away from our churches, so there's some problem. Either we're just like everybody else, either we're isolated and we're just like all the good people, or we're embracing and we're just like all the bad people. Jesus said, no, 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 I want you to be right in the middle. I want you to change the world, but you're going to have to have direct contact with them in order to change them. Um, now, I want to give you just a little bit of church history to figure out how did we get in this predicament? How did the church get this way? If Jesus said, here's the goal, how did we get to the point where there's either isolation or there's embracing the world's lifestyle? Well, go all the way back to about the year 300. For the first 300 years of Christianity after Jesus died, first 300 years, you know, from the, the, the B.C. to A.D., Christians were persecuted ruthlessly. If you're here for our Christmas series, I talked a lot about how the, the Romans did not um, appreciate the Christians at all. In fact, it got worse and worse. There was more persecution. The emperor Nero, do you remember the story about him? He, he so hated Christians that he would use them as human torches to light his garden parties. The, the Romans would take um, Christians and make an example of them because the emperor thought he was God. He would say, I am God in the flesh. And so if you claim to be a religion who followed the one true God and all the other religions were false, they would use Christians as an example. There was one time they stormed in and they put 2,000 crosses on a hill and they nailed Christians to them to say, don't mess with us. And everybody got the idea very clearly that you don't mess with the Roman Empire. And so, come along about 300 AD, about 312 actually, is when Constantine becomes the emperor. So you got 300 years of church history where Christians are persecuted, and then all of a sudden Constantine comes along. And there's some debate about whether he actually became a Christ follower or not. We're not going to get into that debate, but around that time he passed an edict, and nobody can debate this. He passed an edict that said Christians were free, they were safe from persecution. 300 years of people just... 
wiping them out whenever they could. And, and for whatever reason, Christianity has flourished, even though people were giving their lives for it. And then all of a sudden, Constantine comes in and he goes, Christians are protected. And it ushered in this new era of tolerance. You've heard that word recently, haven't you? Tolerance. And so it was, it was to protect anybody who wanted to follow any form of Christianity they wanted to. You could choose your own form of Christianity, and it was okay to, to uh, worship that form of Christianity. Nobody could persecute you. Then, about 80 years later, uh, Theodosius became emperor, and he actually made it illegal not to be a Christ follower. He's the one that declared the Catholic Church to be the universal church and everybody had to follow that. It was illegal if you weren't a Christ follower. And so uh, you you can begin to scratch your head and you go, hmm, it seems like if... if it's illegal not to be a Christ follower, it seems like everybody would say, well, I'm a Christ follower, right? Does that make sense? And so if you look back at church history, you see anytime that Christianity was persecuted, it flourished. And any time it was tolerated or even promoted to the, to the uh, universal church, the universal religion, it faltered. And, and so you have all of this stuff going on, and, and we look back at church history and we say, okay, we don't want the, the church to run the government. Now, some of you may think we do, but no, that's not what we want. Theocracy is like Islam, where there is no separation between church and state. There is no difference between church and state. It's a lifestyle. It's why it's so difficult uh, when you're in a war with, with the Muslims, because their whole idea is that Allah wills this and, and, you know, there's all of this stuff. We don't want a theocracy where the church runs the government. But neither do we want a government that runs the church, because we've seen how that works. The government is not evil. Hang on, listen to this. The government is not evil. In Romans chapter 13, the Bible clearly says that we are, sub- are to submit to the governing authorities. It is God's will that we submit to the government until their laws contradict God's laws. And then gets, guess which one you have to follow? God's laws. Okay, so we want the government to be involved in things that the government should be doing. We want clean water, right? Government should be involved in that. We want good highways. The government should be involved in that. We want national defense, don't we? The government should be involved in that. The problem, though, is when the government starts dabbling into issues of the heart. When the government starts trying to answer theological questions, they have no business answering. That's when we've got to step up. That's When you're talking about morality, you can't legislate morality. You can't make a person have a good heart when they're evil, when they're sinners. The only one that can do that is God. That's a theological question. I'll give you an example. Government has been debating for a long time now... When does life begin? Well, that's a theological issue that God has already settled and He's given us the answer in the Bible. It's very clear, life begins at conception. Now, I'm not going to get off on all of those things, but here's what happens. When government steps into theological issues, it gets messed up. And that's where we got to say, no, you can't come into this area. This is a matter for the church. So we don't want the church to run the government. We don't want the government to run the church. So now you get to the 300s and you see what happened. It's illegal not to be a Christ follower. So everybody is a Christ follower. But they're not really, right? They're only doing it because they're being compelled, because they don't want to go to jail. And so all of these Christ followers, the true Christ followers, it actually, I think, started out as a good idea, but it became a bad idea. Because the Christ followers say, if you're really a Christian, you'll separate with me and you'll go out to these monasteries. And we'll become so focused on God that we'll stay away from any of that dirty 
um, nasty influence of the world, and we'll become so interested in the things of God that we'll we'll uh, we'll even take a vow of silence. So all we do is study the Bible. We don't even we don't deal with any dirty people, even other Christians. We don't want to do that. We want to focus totally on God. And you see that 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 isolationist mentality crept into the church, and that's not what we want. And we don't want the government in because all of this stuff happens and, and eventually by about 1000 AD, that's the dark ages. They're talking about the spiritual dark ages where priests began to sell indulgences. Where if you thought, oh, I'm going to go out and party this weekend, I can get pre-forgiven for my sins. And so you go pay the church a certain amount of money and you can be pre-forgiven. That doesn't sound like the way Jesus carried on the church in his life, right? So we had these dark ages, so we've got to separate the two. So, true believers started isolating from false believers. And, uh, and before long, the church is a long ways from the ideal of Jesus. So, that's how a deacon or a greeter can stand at the church door and say to somebody coming in, you don't belong here. You don't dress like us. You don't belong here. You don't look like us. You don't belong here. And it grieves the heart of God. Because Jesus Christ was around worldly people. Got news for you. Jesus Christ didn't have white skin. Oh, no. Scandal of all scandals. He was Middle Eastern. He probably wasn't blonde-haired and blue-eyed. But Jesus tore down all kinds of barriers. Racial barriers. Um, gender barriers, religious barriers. He wiped them out and he said, that's what I want the church to be like. And you've seen a lot of churches do this and, and, and I don't think that's, that's new life. We're not, we're not the isolationists. I mean, look at us, right? We're, we're not isolationists. But I think the danger at new life and I think the danger for most, if not all of us in this room, is that we'll embrace the lifestyle of the world. And we'll be absolutely no different from the world. And that's not what Christ came to die for either. Um, other than coming to church, is there any evidence that you're a Christ follower? If when you got home today, the, the church police were at your door and they were to arrest you and they were to take you to a court of law tomorrow, would there be any evidence in your lifestyle that you're a follower of Christ? I honestly believe most of us, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict us. They'd throw it out because there's no evidence. And some of you are getting real uncomfortable and you're getting mad. And, and I'm just going to tell you, don't get mad at me because I'm going to show you Jesus said this. So get mad at Jesus, okay? Just telling you up front. In, in John chapter 17, Jesus is in the garden. And this is, this is not long before he goes to um, be crucified. It's not, this isn't the, the night before. But he's in the garden and he's praying and this is actually, John chapter 17 is, is accurately called the Lord's Prayer. Now what you've heard of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And leave us not into, temp- into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For neither is the kingdom, power, glory. Amen. Y'all can probably do it that fast, right? That was never meant to be your prayer. His disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he goes, okay, pray like this. And if you take it apart, you see, first thing you do is you glorify God. Our God who art in heaven. Hallowed means holy, righteous, unattainable is your name. 
Jesus said, pray like this. That would change our prayer lives. But man, I remember eighth grade, you know, it'd be raining out there. I remember a cold, cold game and our, our coaches had us kneel down and, all right, men, let's pray the Lord's prayer so God will let us win this game. You know, and we're like, our Father who art in heaven, you know. And honestly, I don't think God gave a rip who won that game. The Lord's Prayer, though, the the actual when Jesus is praying is in John chapter 17. We're going to look at a few verses, and I want to show you some stuff. If we're we're not going to fall for the isolationist mentality, which I don't think we have, we wouldn't be here. Or if we're not going to fall, fall for the embracing the world mentality, which most of us here... I mean, if we're honest, that's what we do. We've got to figure out what Jesus said. We've got to realize some things. And so if you look in, in, in your Bibles or on your smartphones, if you've got version, look at John chapter 17. We're going to start in, in verse 13, um, and we're going to read these verses together. Now, Jesus is praying. He says, now I'm coming to you. And it's a capital Y there, so he's talking to God. He is praying to his Father. He said, God, I'm coming to you. He said, I told them, who are them? His followers. I told them things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. That's a big deal right there. If you have your your pen underlined, filled with my joy. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Jesus says, I have given them your word, meaning truth, meaning the Bible, meaning the scriptures. And the world does what? Hates them. You don't hear messages on that very much, do you? If you become a fully devoted follower of Christ, the world will hate you. Who wants to join? Right? The world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you, God, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. There's another big deal. He's saying, God, don't take them out of the world. Don't put them in monasteries. Instead, protect them from the evil one, because there is a spiritual battle raging. There is a God who loves you, who wants the best for you. There is the enemy of God who wants the worst for you, wants to destroy you. He said, God, don't take them out of the world because the world needs them. Instead, protect them from your enemy, God, from our enemy, God. Not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy. Oh, there's a word that we do not understand in 2012. God says, be holy because I'm holy. That means set apart, different, change. We did a whole series of weird about how weird is different. Shirts are out there, by the way. And I ordered a few extra because I know somebody's going to come. I didn't know. We promoted this for a month. I didn't know. So we got some extras and, and we can always make more. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Church history is filled with these swings back and forth. Isolationism to embracing. We don't want to be an isolationist church. We don't want to embrace the world. We want to be that church that changes the world through direct contact. So we're going to have to realize three things. First thing on your listening guide. Jesus' way is better. Jesus' way is better. This whole thing when we did weird, there's a broad, wide road that leads to destruction. I was talking to a young man on my front porch the other day, and I said, dude, there's this huge way that leads to destruction, and you're there because he's throwing his life away. And I said, you're on this road, and you know where it leads. And Jesus said, there's this little bitty narrow road, and very few are the ones who find it, but it leads to life. I want to show you something that is better. And in fact, you can't get any other way except following Jesus. And the benefit of following Jesus is joy. In verse 13, he says, Jesus said the whole reason he came, the whole reason he taught his followers God's way was so that they could be filled with joy. 
Now, joy is different from happiness. Happiness comes from the root word to happen, meaning that when good things happen to you, guess what? You're happy, right? Anybody unhappy when good stuff happens besides my dad? (laughs) My dad is the coolest man on the planet. Once you get past the first negative thing, I call him Eeyore all the time because it doesn't matter how good it is. How are things? Oh, I'm about dead. I'm like, Dad, you're as healthy as I am. He's about to turn 90 this year. We were on a cruise with him last week. And man, no matter how good it was, it's bad. I'm like, Dad, I just want to slap him. I'd push him around in a wheelchair, and, and every once in a while he'd get negative, and I'd hit a, you know, because they, they have all these bumps, and he'd get negative, and I'd just whack him in the name of Christ. I didn't tell him that. I'll tell him next time I see him. But see, happiness is all depending on what happens to you. Bad things happen, what happens? You get sad. You're not happy when bad things happen, but joy is completely different. Joy is supernatural and comes from God the Father to those who follow Him, to those who are weird. And He says, joy can be in spite of circumstances. Joy is never ending. We're going to Haiti in July. And and when it'll blow your mind if you go with us because you'll... First of all, you think six o'clock worship service. Oh, my Lord. You know, how can we do that? Well, dude, you're up in Haiti. Five o'clock stuff starts happening. Sun comes up and it's earlier there and, and it's gorgeous. We're, we, where we stay, there's this big mountain and the sun peaks up over the mountain. And as soon as it, I mean, there's dogs and there's, there's chickens and roosters and stuff. And people get up and they get up and they dress in their finest clothes. And some of them walk for miles so that they can get to church. And when they are at church, they worship, oh my soul. I've been rocked in their worship services watching them have joy because I look around. Some of them don't have cars. They don't have houses. They don't have running water. They don't have electricity. Some of them don't even have food. But when they worship God, you see this whole thing change on their face and there is joy. And that's when I say that that is supernatural because they've met a risen Savior. And they believe in, in a life after this life. We don't buy it. Most of the time we don't buy it or it would change the way we live. And Jesus says, I'll give you joy if you'll be different and if you'll follow my way of living. And the Haitian people have figured that out. Joy is tied to God and it doesn't, it doesn't go astray. And so if you're not joyful today, let me just tell you. I'm going to tell you why you're not joyful today. There's two reasons why. Number one, you do not know God. And if joy is supernatural and comes from God, if you're not in His family, He doesn't give you joy. Or, that's that's option number one, or if you're a Christ follower and you're not filled with joy today, it's because you've taken your eyes off of the Father and you're at one of the extremes. Either you're over here isolating yourself from the world and not doing what Jesus Christ called you to do specifically, which is touch the world and change the world. Either you're, you're, you're isolated and you're not doing that, or you're over here and you're just flat out embracing the world. You're loving the world, which is totally against God. And so if you're hugging all of the world and you're doing everything that the world does, you don't have joy. Because God says, I give joy to obedient followers. Blessing comes, I say this all the time, blessing comes after obedience. Well, I don't know if I should obey. Well, you're stupid. I'm sorry. Or let's say ignorant. I won't call you stupid. I just did, but I'll take it back. You're ignorant if you say, I know what I should do, and I choose to go the opposite path anyway. That's ignorance. Well, actually, no, that's stupidity. We've got to go back to stupidity. Because ignorance means I don't know, right? Ignorance means I don't know any better. 
But if you know better and you still choose, that's stupid. Anybody agree with that? Okay, thank you. I was getting worried. thought I might have to go on vacation again for a while. Well, how do we get so far off of, of the target? Well, let me give you an illustration. I think you have it back there. Miriam, pop up the, uh, this magazine. Anybody ever seen that magazine? I went to Walmart and I was going to purchase one that looked like that, but they didn't have it. I, I don't know if it's just all sold out. What they do have are four different specialty. It's not enough just to have Better Homes and Gardens. This one is Better Homes and Gardens Special Interest Publications. There's four different ones, and this one is Country Gardens. So it's not enough to, to want Better Homes and Better Gardens. Now we've got Better Better Gardens and Better Better Homes. And the problem with reading Better Homes and Gardens is you don't like your home and your garden. The more you read it, the less you like your own. Do you know that's the purpose of this magazine? I mean, sure, it says, easy how-tos. And I'm going, dude, I've, I've been around the block a few times. I've done some, there ain't nothing easy about this. And it's not cheap. Only $2,000 and you can have the garden of your dreams. And I'm like, dude, I don't have two grand laying around, but if I did, I'm not throwing it in a garden. I'm going on another cruise. That's where I'm going. If I got two grand laying around, darn, I'm telling you. You read this stuff and it's designed to make you look at your house and your garden or whatever you have. It's designed to make you say, my stuff's not good enough. They don't sell these in Haiti. Wonder why? We don't have a home. Looking at a better home isn't going to do you any good. Right? There's no need for those in Haiti. You'll never be satisfied. And by the way, any of those magazines that they have on the racks, go back 20 years ago. Same magazine, different people. They don't show you the people from 20 years ago because they're ugly today. You've seen the, the, the surgery that they have? They get to the point, they're so tight, they can't smile. Man, you look good. I've been in a boat that was traveling over 70 miles an hour, and this was, I was at a fishing thing years ago, went, got to go to a fishing school. It was awesome. Seven days of just fishing. But I was in the guide's boat, and he has that one thing um, on his side, and, and he doesn't have a windshield on the other side, and of course I'm on the other side. We're going so honking fast. I'm not kidding you, because we're trying to find this other dude, and we're not fishing, which is no fun. But we are flying in his boat so fast. I wear contacts, and, and tears start coming out of my eyes. And I'm actually afraid to look at him, because I think that the wind will peel my contact off and throw it in the, in the lake. And we are hauling, and my face is like this. Now, I was enjoying it. I have to admit, I was enjoying it. But I'm like... And, and it's peeled my skin back. That's not natural. And that's what Jerry Jones looks like. And, and I don't want to look like that. So he doesn't make many magazines today. He may have back in the day, but he doesn't make many today because he doesn't look so good. Jesus says, I can give you a joy that never ends. But you don't get it by, by ignoring my precepts. Jesus says, you want joy, you have to follow me. Um, I read Andy Stanley. I listen to his sermons. In fact, I get his podcast, and I read a lot of his stuff. <clears throat> and Andy has written a book. We're going to do a study on this sometime. I don't know if we'll get to it this year. But the book is called Enemies of the Heart. And in it, he talks about four things. i got a slide up there, Miriam. He talks about um, 
greed, jealousy, guilt, and anger. And here's how he defines each of those. This is pretty interesting. Greed, I owe me. I look at my life and I say, I want that and I deserve it and I owe me. Jealousy, God owes me. I look at somebody else's life and I say, I want that and God, you owe me that. You shouldn't give them something you don't give me. That's, that's jealousy. Next one is guilt. I put that, yeah. Guilt is I owe, I put that in there wrong. That should be I owe you. This is what happens is we guilt someone else so that they think, oh, you're right, I owe you that. I should not have done that to you. I should not have withheld that from you. I owe you. And then the last one is anger. You owe me. Anger is you have offended me and how dare you offend me. You owe me because you messed me around. Now, one of my greatest fears as a pastor is that when I leave this planet, that, that this church, that you will not have grown spiritually. That you'll be about this deep spiritually. Because when I stand before God, I'm going to be held responsible for the way I led the church. For whether I challenge you or not. Now, I can't be responsible for your growth, but I can certainly be responsible for whether I challenge you to grow or not. And so we, we tell the truth here. I believe non-Christ followers, non-Christians, they want to know the truth. It's the Christians who don't want to know the truth, right? It's the Christians who say, oh, you're, you're, you're stepping on my toes, you're meddling. I'm just doing what my founder of my religion did. He meddled. When, when it contradicted scripture, he called it what it was. So, so we just tell the truth around here, and I want you to grow. Now, here's, here's why. Because when you begin to get deeper as a Christ follower, then you look at these things, and, and all of a sudden, you're, you're not greedy anymore because you realize that the riches of God's grace have been poured out upon you, and you have all you need. And you're like, I don't owe me. I owe God everything. No longer are you jealous because you realize that God has given you everything you need and you're happy for someone else. The Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We got the mourning part down. We, we can cry with people who are really sad, but when it's difficult and when it really reveals the condition of our heart is whether we can rejoice with those who rejoice, whether you're really happy for them or you're jealous and you say, God owes me the same thing. When you become deeper, no longer do you think God owes you anything. Guilt. <laughs> Guilt is... I have, I have realized that I was guilty before God and he's forgiven me. And so I don't owe you, Jack. Now, the anger thing, you know, you owe me and all that stuff. I will come to you because the scripture teaches if I have offended you, I will attempt to make amends. I will attempt to come to you. But if you reject my humble, heartfelt, sincere attempts to reconcile with you, the Bible says the problem is you. You own it now if I come to you. If you come to me and I reject you, then I own it. Do you see what the depth in Christ does? It gives you a joy. It gives you a peace. So you don't have to be controlled by greed, jealousy, guilt, or anger anymore. God's way is always better. The weird way is always better. Joy is better than anything else you can get any other place. But the only way you get it is to follow God. Second thing is the key is in John chapter 17, verse 14, 15. Let me read these again. Jesus talking, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of this world any more than I have of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Here's the second thing you have to realize. If you want this type of thing, if you want to change the world, is that God's word is not optional. Jesus said, I've given them your what? Word. Your word is truth. God's word will bring change. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you something. 
The reason you don't like reading God's Word is because you're reading it for information. And it's boring when you read it for information. God didn't give us His Word for information. He gave it for transformation. He gave it to change you. If you and really, you're reading the Bible is not to get you into the Word. It's to get the Word into you. Because when the Word gets into you, you will change. If there's no change in your life, then I would say you're probably very weak in feeding on the Word, if you're feeding at all. But I know lots of folks who call themselves followers of God. They're no different today than they were yesterday or six weeks ago or six years ago or ten years ago. I know greeters and deacons and I get on them all the time because they're, they're the ones who should know better. And they've been the same grumpy donkeys rearing for 50 years. This is my church. No, it's not. This is not my church. This is not Doug's church. As it, no more than any church in town is the pastor's church. It is God's church. And when you follow God, you will be changed. When you get into God's word, when it gets into you, it will change you. But see, way too many Christians, they want enough Christianity to get them to heaven, but not enough Christianity to be weird. And Christianity is an all or nothing deal. And, and I'll just, I'll tell you this. Most of you here, you're, you're pretty decent Moral people. How's that for an endorsement for you? You want me to write that on your, on your reference form? They're okay. Comes to morality, you know, I'd give them a three or four. Morality's not enough. And, and some of you are going to get offended at this, but some of the most moral people I know are Mormons. And if Jesus is right, I'm just quoting Jesus. If Jesus is right, then the Mormons are wrong. And morality is not going to get them to heaven. I know Hindus that are, that are moral. I know Muslims that are some of the most moral people on the planet. But their brand of religion contradicts with Jesus Christ. And when it does, I have to say that that's, that's not going to get them to heaven. Their, their morality, they're going to stand before God and He's going to say... What'd you do with my son? They're going to say, I was really moral. And the words, according to scripture, according to this book, the words that God will say to them is depart from me because I don't know who you are. Your morality, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is like filthy rags. Depart from me because I don't know who you are. Morality will not get you there. Verse 17. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. I, gave, I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Morality is outward, but Christianity is deeper. It is something that's supposed to happen inside of you. Our character should be changed, and that happens through the word of God. One of my favorite verses is Hebrews 4.12. It says, God's word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts as deep as the place where soul and spirit meet, the place where joints and marrow meet. God's word judges a person's thoughts and intentions. See, that's why when you come in here, <clears throat> I've been gone for a couple of weeks, a couple of Sundays, just for a week. But I've been gone. I don't, I don't know what's been going on in your life. But if you come in here and, and all of a sudden you're convicted, not guilt. I, I don't try to use guilt at all. And I, in fact, I tell you, if you feel guilty about giving, don't give. If you feel guilty about something I've said, then, then don't respond to that. God doesn't use guilt, but God uses conviction where he pierces your heart and says that's the truth. And I am not following it. If God uses conviction, that's, that's what the church should be about. And God says he will convict you. He will change you through the word. It is not optional. 
Last week, Janie and I were driving home, um, and, and I can't stand missing two Sundays. Can't stand it. Uh, we got on the ship um, two Sundays ago, and then we got off the ship last week, and we, it's the funniest thing. I'm pushing my dad in my wheelchair. I got a, I got a rolling suitcase in between the handles and then mom's getting tired so I'm carrying hers and Janie's you know got all this stuff and because we self um, debarked and so that means you got to carry everything and man they don't have any any compassion on you whatsoever Janie and I've done this before just two of us not a big deal but with dad in the wheelchair it was a big deal and so we we get off and and we get off by 8 30 and we're like yes but there's no way we could have made it back to church in time so we take my parents to my brother drop them off because they were staying a couple of days with him <clears throat> before flying back to the panhandle and so we're driving along, and man, first thing I do is I put on Christian music because I wanted to saturate my mind. It's church day. It's Sunday. I think about you guys. I was praying about what was going on here. And we, we're going along, and man, we are rocking. There's some awesome Christian music. We're singing, having a good time. And then 11 a.m. hits, and 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning, you know what happens? Church comes on. Now, now hang on. Because the first, we're, we're on the station, and I mean, this is rocking, awesome, praise music, we're worshiping Jesus. And then at 11 sharp, the organ music starts. And I looked at Janie, I go, oh no. And we started searching channels, and, and we got to this one, and, and this dude's reading out of the King James. Nothing wrong with the King James, I grew up on the King James. But I don't teach out of the King James for a reason, because we don't talk like that. And he starts thighs and dows and all this stuff. But he, and I would have listened. Honestly, I was ready to listen to the dude till he said the same thing 10 times in the first paragraph. And I said, I was going, Lord, please. And so I, we keep changing channels. We finally find this one. And I've heard this dude's ver, uh, wor, uh, voice before. And I thought, I know this guy. And sure enough, I did. It was, it was Greg Mott. He used to be at, uh, what was that thing called at, at A&M they used to do? Breakaway. I knew there was, couldn't figure out what it was. But Greg Mott, he's now the pastor at First Baptist Houston. And so he's teaching. And man, God fed my soul uh, through this man's teaching. And, and some of the stuff that I've shared with you today, I heard last week and I felt like God saying, you need to tell this to your church. Well, one of the things he said, and this really resonated with me because I'd just gotten off a ship. Our ship, there were 3,000 um, uh, guests and 1,200 crew. So 4,200 people on this big old honking ship. And so he said... The problem is not the ship in the water. He's like, yeah, okay. He said, the, the problem is when water gets in the ship. And, you know, Janie and I, on the way back, we get halfway back across the, uh, the Gulf of Mexico, and I mean, a storm broke out where you are bouncing off of walls, you know, and, and all of this stuff. And, uh, and a couple of times we heard a big old boom, and it shook the whole ship. And Janie looks at me, and she goes, should we go get me, Mom and Papa? Because, you know, we're thinking of the cost of, you know, on the side. And, and we'd already had this plan how we were going to evacuate the ship and all this stuff. Anyway, it didn't happen. So, so we were thinking, man, if water had come on the ship, that's a bad deal. Here's the point. The problem is not the Christian in the world. The problem is the world in the Christian that will sink the Christian. Right? Because Jesus said we're supposed to be in the world but not of it. A ship was never, I mean, they build them on dry dock and I've watched several of them. You know, I want to go someday on the biggest ship in the world and, and I got to wait until the prices come way down. What we do is we look and we find the absolute cheapest and how long it's going to take us to get there. And then we're in these little closets is where we live for a week and we don't care, you know, because we get to get on this ship. Well, I want to go on this big one and I've watched them in dry dock, but I've, I've discovered something. The ship never stays in dry dock. 
It never stays on the land. It comes out into the ocean and it does what it's supposed to do. The problem is that too many Christ followers are in the church and they're not being changed. And when they go out into the world, they are just like the world. It's the world and the Christian. That's why people aren't changing. That's why our churches aren't growing. That's why the doors are closing. Have you ever seen um, these little things here? Icebreakers? I, I did not notice this until Greg Mott said it last week. Notice what it says up there at the top? To share. What does it say down at the bottom? Not share. Okay, I want to show you something. The to share side. Can y'all see how big this is? Like barely, barely one will come out. That's to share. Now check this out. The not to share side, check this out. It's half the honking thing. So this is what I get. This is what you get. You want one? I'll give you one, maybe, if you're nice, if your breath stinks and I have to be around you. But me, man, I'm just going to... When God gets into you, when the Word of God gets into you, this changes. And you begin to share your life with others. And when someone comes across your path, you don't see it as a, as a distraction anymore. You see it as an opportunity. And, and this whole week, God's just been working on me. Anytime somebody, anytime I've been interrupted, I've gone, okay, God, is this you? What do I need to say? How do I need to respond? Because here's the deal. God's word changes. And then the third thing, the last thing before we have the Lord's Supper. God sends us into a dirty world. Look at this. Three verses right in a row. Verse 15, he says, protect them from the evil one. This world is evil. They do not belong in this world any more than I do. Verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. It's not the boat in the water. It's water in the boat. It's not the Christian in the world. It's the world in the Christian. That's the problem. See, the Bible says that we're supposed to be salt and light. My dad on the ship, and, and my dad gripes about everything, so nothing's ever good enough. And dad kept taking the salt shaker, no matter what the meal was. I don't care. It was seafood, which he doesn't like. Chicken, which he doesn't like. Pork, which he doesn't like. Lamb, which he doesn't like. Steak's the only thing he likes. But even the steak, he's taking his salt shaker, and he's just shaking. And man, everything, he's just shaking. And so we put it down, and one time, and I like salt too, so I picked it up, and I started shaking. I was going, there's nothing in there. No wonder he never gets enough salt. And I got to thinking, if there's no salt in the shaker, then it's never going to make contact. It's never going to season my food. Problem is, there's no salt in the shaker, the church. When we leave this place, salt is supposed to make contact with something and it delays rot. It preserves things. It seasons things. Is your Christian walk such that when you go out of here, you are preserving rot in the world? You're seasoning the world with the word of God? I don't think enough of us are. And then it says we're supposed to be light. How, how bright is your light? I think the Christian, I think churches, it's completely gone. It's like this. Turn them all off, Jeff. This one too. Would you agree that most churches are like this? And then some Christ followers bring them up just about halfway. Some Christ followers are, are just a little bit. And God says to do this. He says we're supposed to be all out. And this hurts up here. When it's this bright, it, it's actually very painful and it's hot up here. I think if we shined our light like this outside these walls, I think the gates of hell would tremble. And so my challenge to you is to be different than you've been when you walked in here. Now take your registration cards very quickly. Fill those out for me and I want you to do something on the back. I bet none of you want to share these things after I threw them down here on the, 
I'll share a bunch with you afterwards, after I threw them down, after I've touched all of them. I want you to put three numbers on the back. One, two, three. And then I want to ask you this. Beside number one, have you been more guilty of isolation from the world or embracing? Just write isolation or embracing. Which one's been you over the past six months? Number two, beside that, you're going to do on a scale of one to ten. One is horrible, ten is awesome. How much time have you spent in the Word of God over the last month? One is I hadn't even picked it up. Ten is I've been in it every day. Three, how bright is your light? One is I'm, I'm, I'm completely dark outside these walls. Ten is I am, I am 5,000 watts. I just want you to observe your own life because if you don't do that and you walk out of here, you'll be no different. 